Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dyler Coltman. Elliot Tanti and Braden Dyler Coltman are with me this week. Welcome back, Elliot. Uh, you had a good time celebrating your great your grandfather's ninetieth uh, birthday. That's a that's a hell of an achievement. How is he doing? Yeah, he's doing really well. It was really nice. We had family down from Calgary and went for a nice dinner. And uh, amazing thing is not just uh, you know that we're celebrating his ninetieth, but that uh, my eighty nine year old grandmother was right there with him, standing next to him as he made his speech. So yeah, pretty feel pretty lucky, pretty special to have both those people still in my life. I know I'm, that, that, yeah, that, not many do. No, that is a heck of an achievement, certainly, and uh, we hope it's uh, one of many, many more birthdays for him and for your uh, grandmother. That's pretty awesome. Um, Brayden, you've got a birthday coming up. It's not quite as momentous, but... Uh, I have a birthday this year. Yes, I do. Yeah. Another another trip around the sun. Happy to be here, and uh, yeah, got another birthday. Still, uh, still making my way through the 20s. This is my final year ahead uh, right. of the 20s. Yes, let's make sure that's very clear. Uh, we have a, 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 a very busy show for you this week, and uh, we shouldn't waste any more time. Let's get to it. Here's topic one. Okay, so before we get too far into this first topic, I think it's important to take a moment to uh, send our um, wishes, our prayers, our um, you know all of the positivity and love we can to the people of Ukraine, who, of course, are going through an absolutely unimaginable situation right now. Um, you know, being invaded by one of the world's superpowers is an unimaginable thing. We can't even really, I think, wrap our heads around from the safety of, you know, North America, from the safety of Canada that we, we, I think um, we're getting a very, a very visceral perspective on both what truly fighting for your freedom means, but also what um, just the life and death situation that uh, humanity is facing in, in the Ukraine is just horrible to, to behold. We are going to talk a little bit about um, some of the peripheral parts of this. So obviously, you know, the most important thing is, is hope, hope for peace, hope for a, a, a peaceful resolution to this situation that, that Putin and Russia relents in this just barbaric act of war. Um, and that, you know, cooler and, and, and saner heads prevail and that people's lives are saved. That's the first thing. What's been really fascinating to watch on the outside is the response um, just around the world to this situation. I think uh, I can't think of a more clearly defined uh, bad guy um, that we have seen in a very long time. It feels pretty, pretty much like wherever you look in, in the Western world, especially, you know, there is uniformed condemnation of, of Russia's actions here. That uh, extends to the sports world. So we were gonna we're gonna spend some time talking about some of the different um, reactions from around the sports world, and also some of the actual actions th that this has um, has led to. So let's start with this. Uh, obviously, as the events unfolded, uh, the the early days of this invasion on uh, the middle of the week this past week um one of the first sort of events major events that had a lot of eyes on it just coincidentally was the starting of the f1 season in barcelona they had their off-season testing and right away it became very clear that formula one was going to be facing some difficult questions about their grand prix in russia um, they've already announced that that Ru that russian grand prix has been cancelled um Vol or, uh, both Valtteri bottas uh who drives for alfa romeo and also um Sebastian Vettel were two of the drivers who came out very quickly and, and condemned Russia and, and, and said they were not comfortable going to Russia even before Formula One did so. We've now seen 
um, some rumblings that maybe the IIHF, the International Ice Hockey Federation, may be looking at at, at suspending uh, Russia from all future tournaments, um, sort of, you know, in perpetuity. I don't know whether there's a time limit or whatever, obviously, until this crisis is resolved. And But that could involve the World Juniors coming in next year. That could involve the World Championships at the end of this year. That could involve all of those situations and have just having Russia blanketed banned from those. That would be a huge thing. FIFA has said they are not going to do that currently as far as World Cup qualifying. Russia will still be allowed to participate in that. However, multiple um, uh, national federations have said they will, will refuse to play Russia, even if that costs them a forfeit in their World Cup uh, qualification, which is remarkable we've seen acts of solidarity acts of protest at uh premier league games we've seen a team in germany come out in a very ted lasso fashion and remove the russian sponsor from their jersey as an act of uh, protest we've seen athletes including a russian tennis player uh signing the camera at the end of uh, a match in a sort of you know traditional way we've often see they the autograph a camera uh, lens at the end of the match he's written no war please um, just, just remarkable acts of this. We did have Alexander Ovechkin who obviously was asked questions and, and, you know, he had some, uh, he had some difficult time answering those questions. So that's what we're going to unpack here. I'll go to Elliot first, obviously, you know, you, you straddle two different, uh, passions. I know sports is one of them. Um, politics, uh, geopolitics is another, those are things you care a lot about. How has this week been for you and what are your reactions to sort of um, not only the news, but moreover sort of how sports is reacting to it uh, at large? Well, yeah, I think it's just like anyone else. It's been an incredibly difficult week. It's been very difficult to watch uh, something unfold in front of uh, all of us that you know, is senseless, needless. And, and you know, as the, I thought you said, put really eloquently uh, at the start of this segment, um, uh, terrible. <clears throat> I've been I've been really impressed with uh, the sports community in general, uh, from F one straight through to you know all, all those many examples that you've that you've listed. Um, I think the way in which major communities has re have responded is complete and utter condemnation of of Russia uh and their actions uh no ifs ands or buts about it not very often you get that in sports uh usually it's it's somewhat measured i would say um but on, on this front that there's there seems to be um no holding back and and there shouldn't be i i, I don't think it's a very difficult position to hold but uh <laughs> sports always sometimes finds a way to surprise us uh at, at how hard it is for them to do the right thing um, but on this front, you know, the majority of, uh, I think, leagues, teams, um, anyone connected in, you know, I'm very proud of. There are people that are strangely quiet. That Ovechkin was really uncomfortable. I think Russian-born players and, 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 and folks are having a difficult time reconciling this. One, because uh, it, it's difficult because how much do you um, – how much do you ascribe the actions of your leader to someone based on where they were born? Um, but also, I think uh, speaking out against the Putin and the Russian government is incredibly dangerous if you're a Russian national. Uh, and so there, there's that to consider as well, too. Um, so maybe not as strong from the Russian side, but largely, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've been happy with the sports world's initial response to this. The question for me is, 
where does this go in the next in the coming days and weeks and months as we start to turn the channel or look at other things Braden? yeah i mean i disagree elliot i think that the the Yes, there have been a lot of uh, athletes and governing bodies in sport come out to condemn this action. But in terms of going far enough, I think the fact that FIFA has imposed a lot of penalties but still will let this country compete in World Cup qualifying or playoffs is, uh, it's, I don't think that that's going far enough. I think that that is, I mean, when you look at the severity of what that would be for a country to, to not be able to compete, I think that like, what are the sanctions for? What, what are you doing to actually, like, you know, punish a country or, or reprimand a country, if not for there to be consequence and for them to just say, well, you can't compete with your, you know, we see it in the Olympics. You can't compete with your flag. You can't compete with your anthem. You can't compete with the title, but you can still compete. It doesn't, that doesn't seem to matter. You know, they're still allowed to compete as the athletes from these countries. And yeah, maybe, maybe there's a, a part of it is, is, I mean, it's devastating for the athletes who have no part of this and, and they represent, I mean, I mean, they do, they represent the country. And, and the country is um, what, what these sanctions are. I, so I'm, I'm just, I'm tied up in feeling like the, that they haven't gone far enough, that I mean, I'm speaking specifically to FIFA and that we have countries saying, I will boycott these events against this team, even if it means we have to forfeit. Like it's that just seems really, really messed up. It seems like it seems like this, what are the sanctions for if not to if not to uphold some sort of consequence? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think uh, I as I pointed out, I think FIFA has kind of been the outlier as far as these uh, the bigger organizations. We will wait and see what the IHF does. Uh, it, it looks like they're going to make a decision Monday or Tuesday of this week. So they may have made a decision by the time you're listening to this, but at the time of recording, that's still up in the air. I think it's difficult because, you know, I think there's two parts of this. You, you know, you're right, Braden. This is, a, a, you're looking for opportunities to um, hold the uh, decision makers and leaders of these countries who are making these terrible decisions accountable, punish them by, cause like inflicting um uh, reputational harm which is obviously what any kind of sports ban would do you're what you're doing is you're causing the people of that country who are supporters of those teams those players uh to feel like this is you know that there's some kind of um uh, impact on them i don't know how much of a difference it's truly going to make to what putin's doing i don't think that he's going to decide not to continue with his you know chosen course of action here based on whether or not the world cup qualifiers are happening um, to be completely honest. I think it is symbolic, but I think that there is importance in symbolism. Certainly in these things, there is importance in unity. There is importance in a collective condemnation because it points out uh, that, you know, that there, that not only for, you know, the, the people of Russia who are uh, perhaps not in agreement with Putin's um uh, opinions that other people around the world agree with that and are, are are condemning his actions not that they may or may not even know that that's happening with state-run media but we'll see um but it also is just an important recognition that you know in a world that is constantly feeling more and more divided we are able to find common ground on the 
on these kind of things that are unequivocal, um, straight evil, and and obviously, you know, human life must come first. So all of those things I think are true. I don't know whether it comes down to that. Elliot brought up Ovechkin. It's difficult, as he said, you know, there's a lot of these athletes, especially the Russian ones who are, you know, kind of prisoners, I think a little bit of the state in some ways, they become ambassadors for the state, they become totems for those leaders. We've seen that in China, we've seen that in a lot of these countries where, um, you know, the, 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 the authoritative uh, leaders or dictative leaders uh, use high profile athletes, high profile artists, high profile um, individuals, um, and their relationship to those people as, as means of, um, you know, selling their message, selling their, mm -hmm. their ideology. And that's part of it. O Ovechkin has, let's be straight up, been a supporter of Vladimir Putin, whether that's because it's mutually beneficial. That's probably true. He's probably benefited from being that as a, as a high profile athlete in that country under that regime. But I think he does have a unique perspective where he is not just drinking from the fire hose of propaganda that Russian athletes in Russia are drinking from. He is seeing a little bit of both sides being uh, on the outside of, of, of Russia. So perhaps he has a slightly broader perspective. I don't know. Um, but I also don't think that, again, I, I think it's difficult because it's, it's wonderful to see. It's important to see that these are happening, um, that these acts of, of solidarity are happening. Do they, are they going to turn the tide here? I don't think so. Well, I, yeah, I would love to see those Russian athletes be the ones who, who are the ones boycotting, saying we're not going to compete for this country. I don't think that we will see that based on what we know of the, the, the stronghold there. Uh, but, you know, when, when uh, the George Floyd murder happened and the Milwaukee Bucks took a stand and said, we are not going to play our games. And that will upset a lot of people. And that is what we are looking, we are yeah. looking for the public who supports us to recognize that this is a lot more than just this, you know, and I can't speak to what, you know, what the, what this, you know, the, the, the public sensibility around all of this is in Russia, but, you know, that's, that's what you want to, that's what you want to, you, you hope you want to see from those people you look up to, those athletes, those, mm -hmm. these are all of those, you know, high profile people. Yeah. Well, let's, let's be clear on, on Alexander Ovechkin. Right now, as, as we sit here and talk, his Instagram photo is a picture of him standing with Vladimir Putin. And that has not changed. And they've been at war for four days or five days or something like that, which yeah. I think is a sig signal enough more than any words um, uh, that you can uh, that you can say. And I, I compress it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know what? And I think it says a lot. I mean, I think you know, Brayden, you're right. There are certainly areas where we could have gone further. There's things where, where sports could have done more. And wow, imagine that FIFA is the is the one that isn't going far enough in this. Yeah. Who would have seen that coming? If you can't tell from my the tone of my voice, I, my eyes are basically all the way in the back of my head with the eye roll there. Um, and so, yes, there is more to be doing. I, I, I just think um, this, is, there, this is a serious situation. And I think there's lots of people that have taken it seriously. And mm -hmm. I have, that's good. I, and I've gotten to the place now where my standards and expectations for sports, sports leagues, um, athletes are, is just so low after the last two years, I feel that we've had, uh, that I, I'm actually pleasantly surprised at, at the, re, the reaction and the holistic reaction in general across the sports world. Um, I'll give you one more example, though, of some concrete. Uh, 
evidence of this, uh, as Elliot sort of alluding to here, um, Chelsea in the Premier League is owned by a Russian billionaire who is a, one of the names listed in some sanctions that the EU is trying to uh, have go through, Roman Abramovich. He has relinquished ownership of the club to the, um, uh, what is it, the foundation um the chair like the the charitable foundation that runs that stewards the 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 chelsea fc so he is basically he's not sold his club but he's relinquished control of them under this pressure um which is something um to suggest that you know that's a, it's an act of of some type of leadership change whether or not you know it means anything in the long run i don't know but um it's just another example of of some of the the reaction from all of this any last thoughts Braden? uh no i i mean i uh... No, I don't have any last thoughts. I, I, I want to see more, but I, but, but I don't want to see any more happen, you know, any more harm happen uh, in that, in, in the Ukraine. Yeah. I think that that, that probably sums it up for all three of us. I think that's the most important thing here. Uh, all of this symbolism and, and, and solidarity is very important. It's, it's, it's nice to see. It's important to see. But at the end of the day, it should not have been necessary and it should it should be unnecessary very quickly because it should be we should be seeing a resolution, a peaceful resolution, as, as we've said, to this whole situation um, that saves, hopefully, um, many more lives and, uh, and, and we can see a peaceful resolution soon. Let's leave it there. That's topic one. Hey, if you're a fan of Hattrick Sports, then I promise you, you are going to love the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Hattrick's very own Braden Dollar Coltman sits down every Wednesday with his best bud, Christian Steck. And together, they break down all the news, rumors, transactions from around the basketball world. Whether it's the NBA or college hoops, these two guys love talking basketball, and you are going to love listening every Wednesday on the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Okay, topic two. Uh, I don't think we've ever, uh, well, that's not true. We have talked golf. It's been Tiger Woods related. I don't think we've ever talked about Phil Mickelson before. We're going to talk about Phil Mickelson, who has very quickly become um, kind of a, just a flashpoint in the world of golf. Um, for those, let's, let's give some context here. So there, there has been recently uh, rumblings of a breakaway super league for golf. Uh, I'm not sure that's the exact correct way yeah. to describe it, but basically, um, you know, it's, it's a, the PGA tour has been the predominant, you know, professional golf, uh, entity in the world for as long as it's been around. And it has never really been challenged by any sort of upstart competitor, the way certain other leagues have, there is this, uh, Saudi golf league that is being, um, led by former PGA, uh, champion, Greg Norman, uh, or at least he's sort of the the golf figurehead that has been appointed to, to to help lead this effort to create a super league uh, led by Saudi, the Saudi government, um, who have obviously put billions and billions of dollars into sports uh, in the last couple decades. Uh, the idea being that it would have a limited number of some of the best players from golf invited in. They would be making you know tens of millions of dollars a lot more money than they're making currently in the PGA Tour. That would be how they would be enticed. To be there it would be a competitor to the pga they'd have their own tournaments all of that so this is this is happening phil mickelson apparently was approached obviously as i'm sure many golfers who just haven't admitted that they've been approached have been but he you know he's a, a very very successful golfer at this point in his career um he was then you know asked about it um and had some very interesting uh, things to say uh I'll, I'll i'll read some of it to you and there is some colorful language so uh, 
they're they're fucking scary to get involved with. We know they killed um, Khashoggi, who of course is the Washington Post reporter, and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, I uh, would I even consider it? Uh, because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. So that obviously uh, turned some heads and got some clicks and, and, and got some attention. Um, I think that's probably why a lot of people would consider it because there's money involved, not the PGA Tour side. When he was asked more specifically why he was upset with the PGA Tour, he went on to talk about sort of PGA's strong arm talk tactics, uh, way they've manipulated players, stolen money. There's a whole bunch of different issues he feels with how the PGA is run, um, which is certainly... Uh, Interesting. Um, that wasn't taken kindly uh, by both the PGA and other players. Phil Mickelson has never really been like the best, I don't know, ambassador for the PGA tour. He's a, he's been kind of one of those guys. First, he was Tiger's rival for all those years. And he's always been the other guy. A lefty. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, the, the fallout from these comments though, which he did walk back with a apology has led to almost all of his sponsors dropping him. Um, a tournament that he is the title host of dropping him um, and sort of this feeling that uh, he's sort of, I don't know, alienated himself from the sport. The question is this is, it, it, I guess this is, this is where I come down on this. Like what exactly is Phil Mickelson guilty of here? If not speaking his mind, albeit a little blue uh, and is he wrong for having expressed the opinions he has expressed, um, Elliot? Uh, no, I, there's nothing wrong with what he said. I'm sort of laughing at this because it's like, I, I, I'm kind of struggling to see what the issue is here. Other than he's upset the apple cart a little bit around the way the PGA Tour behaves and the way in which that organization um, behaves. And I think it is due for a refresh. They've tried this Fed up, FedEx Cup kind of thing. It sort of worked well, but it's it's not really landed the way that they'd expected it to. Uh, golf is a game, and particularly tournament golf, is steeped in tradition. Um, and, and But it makes it kind of boring, <laughs> to say the least. And I think that there are real opportunities, particularly amongst the best players to do something interesting or, or try something out. And I think this is, you know, the reaction to this is, is largely because he's upset, you know, to a professionals. I, with regards to Saudi Arabia, I mean, other than being somewhat like not being very tactful, what he said isn't wrong. People are executed in Saudi Arabia for being gay. Saudi Arabian government is responsible for killing a journalist yeah. uh, brazenly. Uh, he identified all the issues that would be wrong with that type uh, of relationship. Uh, and I think he, you know, and, and acknowledging things is, is, is like, he didn't say anything that wasn't true. I, I, I just, so help me understand here what the issue is. I, I don't see it. Yep. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. Uh, Braden, what do you think? Well, I, I, I think I'm with you in the sense that he didn't say anything necessarily other than just to upset the apple cart, like you said, just to upset the institution and the, the, the whole, you know, he's got some gripes with the way that it's run. And I think he's got every right to, he's, he's made his, uh, he's made his mark on the, on the, 
on the league, on the sport. Um, I don't know if there was any truth in him want, actually wanting to go and make this opportunity happen. Um, and yeah, I, I think when it comes to a league in Saudi Arabia, there are definitely certain things that you want to be mindful of if you're going to go and make something like that happen. However, in, in, the, in respect to growing the sport internationally, I think that there are a lot of opportunities um, you know, but I think some of the other athletes, you know, like Roy, Rory McIlroy had a, a really strong opinion of like, who else is going to play? Who, how are you going to make up the rest of the field? Uh, if Phil went, uh, then you'd have one guy <laughs> because everybody else is, is quite loyal to the PGA tour. And I don't see that changing, especially with the athletes that are competing in the PGA right now. Uh, yeah. The PGA tour obviously has come out and you know their big issue i think with this whole saudi league is is just the fact that they don't have the money to match this they don't have the money to really compete if this becomes an issue they've basically said any player who goes to this other league will be banned from the pga tour for life um you know they're they're trying to you know pump money as fast as they can into these players opportunities so that they can sort of blunt the the opportunity for the saudi experiment to happen i mean They've already, I think, raised the 2021 Players Championship purse to to 15 million, uh, as well as uh, introducing like a 40 million dollar player impact program, which is basically like a bunch of bonuses in like a pool for the players to 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 win at different times because they've recognized that, I mean, some of the numbers that I mean, whether they're true or not, some of the numbers that have been thrown around about this include you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for these guys to compete with. There was a, a, a graphic I think ESPN had up the other day that suggested that one of the offers that Bryson DeChambeau has been offered is in the range of like half a billion dollars to go and compete with, like to go play here, you know, for the rest of his career. I mean, it's ridiculous money. It's, it's, it's stupid money. Um, and the, and the, the, at the end of the day, you know, why wouldn't these guys go and take it if they're competing for, you know, you know, half of uh, half of that in, in maybe their entire career. I don't know. Ethics. <laughs> sure. Ethics. And that's the thing, right? That's where this comes down. This is what this comes down to. But as what he's saying is true, which is, you know, if you can stomach that part, the money yeah. is, is, is very interesting. And I think what's also important is what he was really, I think what we're missing in what he was saying is that what he's pointing out is he, 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 he's not saying he should go, he, he's going to go and compete here. What he is pointing out is that just the fact that this exists, he thinks there's, there's a benefit to the players that this is happening because it's putting pressure on the PGA on tour. The PGA. Yeah. And I think that's where perhaps, you know, the PGA has taken exception to what he said, obviously, because he's, ex- he's exploiting the, the leverage that, that, that they don't have. Well, and, and I think that that's, um, draconian <laughs> to be honest. Yes, correct. And I think the response from his sponsors who are largely, I think probably tied up and, and equal sponsors with, with the tour, you know, the tour itself uh, is reflective of that. You know, I, stepping back from Phil Mickelson and golf uh, in general, this is part of an emerging trend, I think in sports where, where there's now, there's lots of money and new money in other places of the world. And this is not the first conversation that's been had in the last year i think about a super league right wasn't there one in soccer that they were exploring like a yeah 
Mm-hmm. That and that that caused there was a, a Champions of, League Super League, yeah. yeah, like like it was like the Champions Champions League or something like that, and they were they were exploring that as well too. And hey, similar backlash by the quote unquote uh, traditionalist league, and that I think uh, uh, you know there was significant sanctions and, and significant pushback from them as well too. But I wonder if this isn't going to be an emerging trend in, in a number of different sports, and you know the tour PGA Tour. Uh, maybe you know strong enough to repel this type of action, um, but uh, would other sports organizations be able to? I'm thinking uh, like a, a rival tennis league, for example, if there was the money there to do something like that, mm-hmm. uh, or some of those some of the smaller sports where you know there maybe isn't as much money. I wonder if we're not going to start to see this emerge in other spaces as well, like luge. Yeah, the luge league. Not sure there's a lot of money in luge currently. Um, or snow in Saudi. Yeah. I think they do have an indoor ski resort in Saudi Arabia. And if not, they definitely have one in Dubai. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a very, it's a very uh, interesting situation, I guess. Well, let, let's leave it there and see how it unfolds in the future. That's topic two. The Ordinary Podcasting Network is excited to announce that we have launched a merch store on our website. The store is full of ordinary swag, including t-shirts, hoodies, and hats. You can pick out something awesome and support your favorite podcast today by heading over to OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Welcome back to Topic 3. We're going to be talking about baseball uh, and how there was supposed to be spring training today, and that did not happen. We are currently in another lockout. Well, we're not. Well, yeah, no, we're we're on our eighty seventh day of the of baseball's uh, first work stoppage since nineteen ninety five. Um, riveting times, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Are, when are I you when sad I, that we missed some spring training today, or uh, you know, what are your uh, feelings? No, no. I think I, well, I've as I said uh, previously on this uh, topic, I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, but no, you know, it's funny. So here's, here's where I come down on this. And I've, I've said this a few times. I think that um, baseball obviously is like an incredibly important sport in the fabric of like the American sports landscape, right. Or North American sports landscape. Sure. It's, it it is um, it's, it, it, it's place though, I think is shifting and has been shifting um, for a long time. Uh, the dominance it once held is gone. I think it is struggling to compete in different parts of the country um, in ways it never has before. It's only real, I think, lasting thing is the ability to, you know, hold content uh, attention on television every single day of the summer, every single day of the spring and most of the fall into October. There's a lot of baseball to be consumed. Um, so they they chew up a lot of television minutes and that is to their advantage. Here's the here's where I come down on all of this. Elliot had a great argument about the Olympics feeling like they were shifting in importance. And I think baseball is in the same place. It is a traditional thing every spring to feel like baseball's coming back. I don't feel like people are as worried or as upset on, on, on the whole about a, a work stoppage as they might've been 20 years ago. I don't feel like it is grabbing the headlines and attention in the sports infrastructure the way it might have. I think that's because there's so many other things and there's so many other um, sports that are actually playing games that the conversations around the baseball f- sort of fights and backrooms just aren't as dramatic as they 
were when we had less things to be distracted by. I think that's kind of where I come down to. Is it important? Sure. It is like baseball still an important part of the sports ecosystem, as I said, but I don't think that it is. I don't think people care as much as they would have a while ago. I know I certainly don't. Um, I don't know how the two of you feel about that, but like, I'm not losing sleep over it. Certainly. I, I think I care more than you, but less than Braden. I, I, I don't know. Like I, for me, I think those are all, those points are all really well-made Jordan. Um, and oftentimes labor disputes offer an opportunity for reflection. I, I remember during the year in which the NHL had to cancel the entire season, um, you had the league, there was, there was some soul searching done and some rule changes made to sort of open up the game and make it more exciting and interesting. And I wonder if we're not on the verge of something here as well with baseball too. I know there are the traditionalists and the traditionals continue to have outsized voice and influence in the game. But I wonder if MLB isn't a little bit shocked at maybe the lack of attention it's getting about its labor labor dispute um and because normally this would be a big story i mean it still is but bigger story i think um and and so i wonder what impact that's going to have and i think it's something worth watching the other thing i would say is maybe we're not feeling the impact yet and jordan you're not feeling the impact yet because it is just spring training it hasn't unless you're like a die hard yeah unless you're like a die hard baseball fan uh, you know, pitchers and catchers reporting is not really that big of a deal. Like, but when it's when when the first game of the season isn't played, that that means something different. That that changes the outcome for people, and maybe that elevates in people's minds. But those for, are the- yeah, for for games every day, I think that's when you're going to start to notice something something really affect. Um, I mean, spe- specifically baseball fans. Like you're right, Jordan. There's, there's yeah, there's not. There's not that kind of worry when you're not following and you're not, but we haven't had a traditional off season uh, because of this stoppage. So a lot of player movement hasn't taken place yet. Uh, a lot of the things that we want to start to see happen in the negotiation. Like, I think for me, the frustrating thing in, the, in this whole thing is, is down to the commissioner. I really think that there's a, a person here and I, I share the same sentiment in other leagues that the, the commissioner uh is is holding back what the future of baseball is capable of um there's just you know the 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 fact that the draft still happens like three weeks into the season it's not a lottery system there's you know so i mean that's one of the negotiations right now is that the bottom four teams enter a lottery in the draft so that we stop seeing tanking because that's something that i mean we've seen in a we've seen in a lot of major sports, but in baseball so specifically because there's so many games and because it's, you know, it's, it, it, it really comes down to uh, uh, just that, just that that has a great impact on um, uh, the competitiveness of the sport. I think that there are a lot of things holding, holding the league back and, and, you know, some of the, conversations that are, are coming out about the negotiations is that Rob Manfred isn't even present and that he's only present in the last few days because momentum is taking place or that there's some sort of discussion and those discussions end after like 10-15 minutes so they, I just think that there's still quite a divide here and and I mean I worry that we're going to see a lot more than spring training cancelled. Sure I think um, uh, I would 
Yeah, I think that what you're saying is right, especially if you're a baseball fan. There's some there's some concern. I think the thing with like the commissioner part of this is that I think people have a misunderstanding about like what a commissioner's priorities are. People think, I think, too often that the commissioner should be looking out for what's best for baseball or in, 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 you know, Gary Bettman's case or in Roger Goodell's case, whatever their sport may be. I think at the end of the day, you have to remember their priority and the only thing they are looking out for is the bottom dollar of their owners. See, funny you say that. It's funny you say that. I, I do agree with you. I do agree that that is the job title. However, the one commissioner that you did not mention was Adam Silver. Because he is that kind of commissioner who looks out for his players first, who looks out for the culture of the sport. I don't think that's true, but I think that he is better. And, at, I think he's better at, at, at presenting himself in that way. Here's what I would challenge you on. Why can't others no, do that? Well, let me let me tell you. Why, why. is there a commissioner let me tell in you the why. NHL that is constantly booed? Totally. Why do let we want Let me that? tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because again, who they are working for is the key part of the culture and identity surrounding the league and the national basketball association has a much more diverse, a much younger, a much more, um, I think forward, uh, innovative, progressive ownership on the whole than any of those other leagues does. Right. NFL's owners are old white billionaires. Yes. But when you just mentioned diversity in the league, not so rich white billionaires. Yeah. Baseball is old money it is old conservative ways of thinking about their product and the nba has guys like cuban it has guys like balmer it has guys like michael jordan it has guys like like across the board all of those owners who are different innovators and thinkers and that is why adam silver represents them in a different way than any of these other leagues baseball's owners are not excited about what is coming next they are more concerned about whether or not they are getting theirs who pays those owners the fans that's sure. it. that's it so why and i don't disagree not no. focused on what the fans need and deserve and want because they're not they're, they don't think that way. And I think that that's what's unfortunate. They believe exactly. they know what the fans want, which is what they I believe mean. they have if a product got a to sell. And who's representing these owners. Don't you want the commissioner to be able to challenge and really put forth what will help those owners? Of course, when it comes to- of course, right. we'd all want that, but that's not how it works. It's just not how it works. Well, it should. It should. I don't, I don't disagree. <laughs> I think you're both kind of right <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like, they're, they're sort of how it is and, and how it should be. I, I, this is why I think there's a reckoning emerging because I do think baseball teams are struggling. And I think the, 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 the top, like the top, what, five, 10 richest clubs aren't going to have issues, but where they're really struggling is the, is the bottom 20, right? The bottom 22. And I think that will lead to, that's going to lead to a different type of response change. I think it's, it, it's with leading to this, uh, this labor issue right now is that everyone recognizes that something needs to change, but no one knows how or why. Right. And I think that that's the challenge here is that you have uh, an ownership group that as Jordan said is old money and it's old, old money, but oftentimes like deeply invested in the cities in which they exist. And there's not a lot of willingness to change things, but I think something's coming because I think this is the lack of response from the general public that I've seen, that I've felt, that I currently am feeling myself. Um, 
means that there's something needs to change in this space. I would also offer this, Brent. I think that there is a risk in like the, the leverage that viewers have that the baseball fans have kind of goes to what Elliot was just saying, which is that if we, if they show an apathy and a, we don't really care uh, that baseball is not here right now, that actually lights more of a fire under those owners and under those commissioners to feel like, Holy shit, we could lose this all together. I think that's what they felt a little bit during COVID when it was like, Oh, we might not play and people might not care. And that's a problem. They have to recognize that if, but the, but the reality is CFL. Sure, exactly. No, exactly. But this is what I'm saying. You know, you're bringing up this should matter more. People should pay more attention to this. And my argument is that may be true, but in doing so, in letting this become talking points on Sportsnet or on SportsCenter or on, you know, whatever the the talking head shows, the more attention they give to it and make it feel like this is a thing uh, or, or, or something that people should care more about, the more the more that that gives the advantage or leverage, I think, back to to Major League Baseball, as opposed to them recognizing that the ground underneath them is literally shifting and they either change or they will continue to to, to, to feel the decline, I think, that they've felt in the last decade. Yeah, I think I think it's less the apathy of the general public towards the situation and more my frustration with the apathy, apathy of the commissioner and in the negotiation. It doesn't feel like there's any interest and, and the stubborn nature of his first, the first negotiating session he was at was in April when it began. Yeah, and he's negotiating. Uh, that's right. That's a tactic. That's a, that's a strategy. Sure. Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's, well, that's, but, but I don't, because there have been multiple opportunities to re-engage and I, I, of course. I feel like, no, no, one- no, of course, but like labor, labor, you know, law is always based on a, 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 a perception, right? No, but it's about perception. It's about saying, well, we don't really need, we're not, we're not in a desperate position here. We don't need to make it look like we're too, too afraid to continue this lockout. We're not afraid of, of a labor shortage. We, you know, we're okay if that happens, because if you're positioning yourself in a way that suggests that you're desperate, you're going to get a desperate result, right? That's, I guess what I'm saying. So I wouldn't read too much into that. I think that there's a lot more negotiating going on behind the scenes than we're privy to, but I, I don't know. It's it shows sure. it shows a lack of interest. It sh- you know, even if that's a tactic, oh, for sure, it shows it shows that you've got a leader or a you know a, a governing body here that doesn't care enough to to find a solution to help those. I don't oh, know. That's that just exactly, that, yeah. That's exactly what he's trying to project. That's exactly what he's trying to project, and it pisses off fans. Pisses me off. <laughs> it pisses off fans, but that's exactly. He's he he he's not in the room, so a real decision is not going to get made. They're just gonna, right. there, there's other people negotiating, right? It's he, when he comes in and when he gets involved, he's not going to be there until it's close to the end. And then he can be the hero. Engaging is yeah. because they're no they're nowhere near each other in terms of what, where this is going to land. Yeah, and um, I, that's why I think that we are going to look at uh, cancel games this year. I I I, I really feel that. So I far. mean, it, it could be an opportunity like we saw in the bubble to uh, with the NBA to see a shorter season, which could actually be a good thing for the MLB. Uh, not knock on wood, it doesn't happen because we all want to see baseball f- as long as we get it. But <laughs> uh, and and there is more room for doubleheaders. So they're like we're not. I don't think we're gonna lose as much baseball. But uh, heck, we, I mean, if Manfred's doing what he's doing, we could lose the whole season. All right. Well, I guess we'll leave it there for now. We'll wait and see what happens as it continues to evolve on us. Thank you both. Uh, another good show. One more time. We want to wish um, all of our prayers and, and, and hope for peace for the people of Ukraine. We are thinking about you. Um, 
We are desperately hoping that this is resolved soon um, and, and with as little uh, further bloodshed uh, and loss of life as possible. Um, so we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope you uh, have a great rest of your week. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you don't already, please subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.